0: Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm uh, here with Catherine Foster, uh, which is the Executive Advisor on Strategic Collaboration, System Innovation and uh, Entrepreneurship on Green Finance emerging technology for climate change and SDG and I know that you are doing a lot of great job and you did a lot of great job as Canadian diplomat on climate and uh, with the UN with the World Bank with the human security network I I have a long list I can't say everything but uh, it's safe to say that you are pretty pretty a great expert on everything that is impact investing and uh, how the technology is impacting our lives and uh, our future?
1: Uh, actually, I don't even know if I would call myself an impact investor but first of all it's lovely to be here and uh, thank you for inviting me to the discussion. I think it's interesting because I come from the SDG side so I'm a geographer by training and we're trained to look at the physical and human and economic and development and gender issues in this sort of lateral perspective of human evolution and global evolution. So uh, yeah I've been working for almost 30 years now and I started um, on the NAFTA side agreements just when international trade was bolstering and looking at the the potential impacts uh, for environmental decision-making around that. And there throughout the entire uh, evolution of the sustainable development agenda and goals uh, right up through the the climate change negotiations. So I'm coming from that side of of things rather than the financial side of things. But uh, over the last decade, I've sort of been merging that, together in terms of impact entrepreneurship, as well as now the actual impact uh, metrics and verification processes that we're in- enabling through emerging technology. And I think that's also a part of the training as a geographer. you know, we, we started with GIS, um, Geographic Information System 20 years ago, and we were still digitizing things by hand. The internet was just emerging. And so, seeing the evolution of technology as well as the issues around governance around those in data has also been a really fascinating journey.
0: Wow, <laughs> I know you did so many many things uh, on on this area, and uh, but how well? What is uh, the things that? Um, You say, okay, this is the why I want to start uh, this journey because of these things, and because I I felt this. I don't know, Uh, (laughs) but you you can tell me (laughs) what what was these things that say, okay, this is the spark for me.
1: The, I think the spark was just growing up in northern Ontario um, and I um, uh, have a partial indigenous background, uh, Métis background. And so uh, a very different relationship with uh, nature and earth, very much hands on. Um, at the same time, uh, wanting to go out and explore the, the world uh, beyond the small town and northern climes that I grew up with. So that I think was really the first impetus into sort of environmental science. I wanted to be either an environmental scientist or a journalist um, and combine that with so many other interests. Um, so not in a siloed rage way, uh, way. And I think um, geography offered me that as a discipline. I it enabled me to do, uh, you know, different different studies. And that I think actually then enabled me to go into uh, diplomacy and that was sheer, initially sheer accident. I went to interview the head of the, uh, the NAFTA when I was doing my doctoral work um, and this is after having you know, volunteered in India on certain projects and done a bit of grad school in Edinburgh where we started looking at GIS and uh, sort of exploring different emerging areas. And so I went to interview the head of the NAFTA side agreement on environment when it was just established in Montreal. And I was really fascinated and interested in how all of this would relate to stakeholder um, uh, engagement around decision-making in international treaties as well as environmental decision-making. And uh, after about 20 minutes of, of peppering him with questions, he actually offered me a job. Um, and so that was my first foray, other than summer jobs uh, here and there, doing some really amazing, fun activities. But this was the really first foray into the sort of suddenly being part of the international landscape uh, and applying that knowledge. And then I got hooked um, and applied to uh, join the Foreign Service. Um, and was there was a cohort after, I think, a few years where it was closed, there was a cohort where I think 20 of us out of 6,000 applicants were allowed in. So it was just such an honor to have made that cut. And then when Canada was leading out on human security and climate change in the late 90s, it was just such a brilliant time to be there with an amazing group uh, in the Global Affairs Office. Um, Working on everything from landmines to war-affected children with Brasha Michelle and the UN Security Council, all of these amazing things were happening. The Kimberley Blood Diamond Process, uh, the Conflict Diamond Process, um, and even the emergence of corporate sustainable uh, reporting emerged at that time too. The GIR. GRI Index. So it was a really, it was, it was, we were hands-on learning as desk officers and leading out workshops and, and different uh, elements. And it was the first time we actually put together a fund which, for what we would now call impact entrepreneurship. So it was to go to NGOs that were actually looking at solution through technologies and others. So that was the first sort of inclination that we had. Uh, there around this impact entrepreneurship side of things, even though it was happening elsewhere, we just didn't label it that. So that was sort of how it all started for me. And then when I was on posting in Washington, DC, um, I was sent down in 2000 because, you know, um, climate change was really heat, you know, basically the hot the topic for no pun intended. Uh, and Al Gore was going to be uh, elected president, all predictions said. So that was a turning point um, when the US and then Australia and then Canada all pulled out of the climate change um, process, the post Kyoto process. I, I was offered then I had to go back to Ottawa and I was offered um, options and I declined and left the foreign service and sort of out of protest and also just to start a new chapter of my life. And that's when I moved to Europe and Switzerland in particular, and started building out directly some of the innovations around climate change.
0: So when when the the moment came, you say, "Okay, the, the, uh, it's not enough. I don't want to change. This is what I want to do." And and you you also fly to, from across the world to pursue your dreams and your uh, your passion about impact and uh, and. It's amazing, really. It's it's really yeah. amazing. I have I mean, a personal part of it. yeah. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> well, there was a personal part of it too. You know, I dedicated my 30s to that process and I was 39 and I met someone and I thought, you know, if I'm going to have family, this is the time. And he was Swiss and just starting his career was quite, quite a bit younger than me. And so it was just a, a really sort of this the turning points uh, on different facets of life. And sometimes that's where the best opportunities emerge, right? So uh, I took, took the bull by the horns, as they say, and said, okay, I'll take a leap of faith in uh, all aspects of life and uh, see what comes of it. And in Europe, it was uh, awesome to, to be part of a community. It's a very different mindset around environment and sustainability and climate change. And uh, to see that emerge, especially after the 2008 crisis with the EU climate kick um, and other initiatives, it was so wonderful to, again, put all of those facets together under one umbrella and say, yes, we can work on this together.
0: And, And when was the time that you see, okay, um, I'm looking into the the new technologies and I see that there is something that we can do uh, about technology with technology to make an impact.
1: The first one was when I was doing my doctoral work. I went to my geographic information uh, systems professor who was a glaciologist and was using GIS only for glacier modeling. And he was okay with us doing forest modeling or other geophysical elements of modeling. And I presented an idea to him of using it to look at community vulnerability. So let's look at a community, a forestry community and the vulnerabilities by plugging in not just the physical information. And I had worked on forest fires in the summer job, the Forest Fighters Center of Ontario. So that was sort of the inkling of it and seeing the satellite data and everything that was sort of merging together and saying, why can't we plug in the physical data as well as the economic and social data that we know and have from census, etc. And uh, layer that on to look at actual vulnerability, uh, not just physical vulnerability, but economic vulnerabilities, societal vulnerabilities. Um, And there's so many elements that you could layer on to that. And he shut it down. He said, no. (laughs) So I did it anyway, and the map was actually adopted by map Canada into its new systems. So that to me was the first inclination that okay, maybe academia may not be the place for this to happen. um, But clearly there are other people out there that see this as potential. And then when the, you know, when internet uh, systems were evolving and we were trying to do stakeholder involvement, stakeholder negotiations around the James Bay hydroelectric dam and then the NAFTA, it was, wow, we can use this. Email was really the only way to reach people, but it allowed that much quicker interaction and capacity. But of course we had the digital divide and energy divide to consider. So at each step we saw certain innovations happening of course, big barriers and gaps to actually full adoption and full implementation, as well as mindset. So that's where it first started for me. But then it really picked up when I was with the human security agenda. And then finally, when I was in Switzerland and working as the Swiss innovation lead for the Climate Kick and seeing the thousand, uh, you know, over a thousand startups all working uh, towards climate innovation. Um, and seeing the different clusters of types of technology and innovations that were coming forward, saying this, this is it, you know, this is where it's, it's happening. So it was the merging uh, that really occurred.
0: And uh, well, uh, right now there is so many, there are so many different technologies and uh, but uh, I know that you are uh, studying some other more than other <laughs> uh, and uh, well, um, what do you what what do you think um about um well financial inclusion and how new technologies digital currencies is uh is helping this uh this area and what is going well and what is n- not <laughs> going really well what is it
1: your opinion that's I mean it's a good question because i think you know, when the digital currency um, trend started and really reached its its uh, a peak of of global attention uh, in 2017, when the WEF sort of adopted elements and different organizations of worlds, World Bank, UN, all started looking at it. Um, I think there was this assumption that we looked at the sustainable development and climate transformation gap as this you know, quote unquote, market opportunity for technological solutions. And so we were holding up, uh, you know, people were holding up these transformation gaps, you know, trade finance, 18 trillion, uh, this sharing economy over 300 billion, FinTech, uh, fraud, agriculture, all of these different pockets of the transformation gaps from the World Bank and UN reports were being held up as the market opportunity. But that made a lot of assumptions um, about technological readiness, but also data readiness, um, the digital divide, you know, uh, cultural, different, different barriers that would have to be addressed in order for any sort of technological innovation. So the, that I always sort of balked against this notion of uh, you know, the fourth industrial revolution because revolutions actually do leave people behind. Um, and in this case, I think that's that's actually what we're seeing so we we have different technologies uh, emerging, and you know we've got <clears throat> cloud technology, autonomous vehicles, synthetic biology, virtual and augmented reality, the internet of things, blockchain robotics AI um, and all interacting and working together. but it's also the way that technology is building out and I think um, some of our institutions even took on the Silicon Valley mentality that tech has to build out in sort of this competitive and venture capital approach, um, when in fact, what we really need is more collaborative and open uh, partnerships and consortium building in order for it to really overcome the barriers. And I think we see that, um, particularly in the climate finance space, in getting climate finance to reach local level around the world. And I think I want to get back to also to the, your question about digital currencies and the role they have, because I think that's another point that we've seen over the last four years, is that there was uh, discussions around Bitcoin and digital currencies um, that store and transact value, uh, usually money. Um, And, you know, under those, there was no real infrastructure link and a very unreliable store of value. And but the blockchain, uh, the digital assets and blockchain uh, capacities and the different landscapes of blockchain, you know, whether it's proof of work, proof of stake, whatever the platform you're choosing, the capacity for those to then represent digital assets to represent and transact other assets, the physical or digital, whether it's housing or conflict diamonds or a tree or you know, emissions or carbon, this was really revolutionary. But I think we got detoured into the ICO, into the initial coin offering um, at the fundraising stage where people were issuing the coin saying, I have a vision. Um, <laughs> give me money, I'll build a team. I'll build a technology. Whereas there were a lot of people and a lot of organizations that were doing their due diligence and building out the pilots, but it, it got a bit messy, and so the whole smart contract capacity sort of got um, shadowed in a way. Um, that that capacity now, I think, is finally starting to reemerge because we're realizing. For, um, for all of this to work. The trust is built on verified data. And that's where things like GIS and satellite and biometrics and sensors and uh, monitoring and reporting verification, that's where the real capacity is based on the integration and collaboration, but it doesn't take just technology and data uh, and good data, verified data, which we're doing, but it also takes a rethinking of our business models, if you will.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, well, I' I'm totally agree with that. I mean, um, when I talk about uh, blockchain, especially, I, I always um, uh, well, I always do this parallel with, um, with the internet. Uh, blockchain is basically like the internet in the '90s. At the beginning, it's a bit of chaotic, and there is a lot of people uh, that are working on it, and uh, there are scams as well. <laughs> I mean, there is the good and the bad, of course, uh, and uh, and also um, what I have noticed that is uh, that happening. It happened in the past and is happening right now again. is really that the first uh, Uh, Well, the first people that approach usually a new technology um, are really technical people. And and it's quite hard for them to explain to the other uh, what they are doing and the value that is uh, under this technology and also uh, how this technology can be useful for the, the whole world. And then the second wave arrived, and uh, it's the wave uh, with entrepreneurs uh, that maybe are not so good on the technical side, but they have the mentality of uh, how can I use this technology and uh, and make it something that everybody can use, not just for me, but for everybody. Uh, and and then we arrive with the uh, big tech part. <laughs> usually, the third wave <laughs> is uh, is this one. Well. For what what the histories teach us from now, (laughs) this is basically the the stages that that we usually see when a new technology comes up. And especially when the technology is so revolutionary, like blockchain and like was internet before. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with that.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, in terms of the finance space, what is still happening is, you know, we've got three separate tracks that are just starting to merge. So we have, um, you know, FinTech, um, you know, financial technology for the unbanked financial access, financial services happening and that's sort of emerging out of the banking sector. Right. And then we have green financial products, um, that are, you know, green bonds, investments, um, but that are not necessarily being digitized across the whole value chain. We have pockets of innovation happening in there, but it's not fully merged yet. And then we have the emerging tech for um, SDGs and climate. So supply chain, MRV, asset tracking, even donation tracking, all of this. And so we haven't seen fully that converging, um, not only of the technology, but also of the regulations. That are happening. And so I think what happened in the blockchain space, as it happened with the internet space, was you know the financial sector, of course, was the first to sort of react in terms of, of governance around cryptocurrencies, uh, very naturally because there was a lot of questions around around that. And but then that affected the whole landscape of blockchain for impact as well. Um, so, you know, a number of initiatives and projects that we started building out um, in some of the different startups I was working with suddenly got shut down because of the regulatory concerns, even though there was no um, currency element, no investment element of it. So I think that's there's a reactionary part of it. And at the same time, I think there's a limitation because the big fintechs, you, like you mentioned, um, you know, the the governance frameworks are around data and privacy and financial services offering, but their impacts um, and their their complex business systems around the world go far beyond just those core component um, SDGs, if you will. So it goes beyond um, just the financial impact and the financial empowerment. These are having impact around different clusters of SDGs in different pockets. Um, and our government frameworks are very national uh, focused or EU focused uh, on where the big fintech has its HQ. You know, and then we're not able to even examine that larger, broader impact that they might be having on um, um, populations around the world. Uh, so I and we can talk about that later but I just wanted to, to pick up on what you were saying because I think it's absolutely true.
0: No no it's absolutely uh, uh, one of, of the topic I would like to discuss to you today so keep going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know there's a few examples to draw right now you know there are some big fintechs that are under scrutiny like Facebook for its uh, privacy etc and um, if you extrapolate from that the the, the challenges that we're having uh, on governance around uh, data privacy and uh, fake news and all of this, extrapolate that to other types of big fintechs. So for example, with Amazon, um, Amazon is a it's a digital platform that happens to also delve into financial services as well as goods and services that have a physical presence that are shipped around the world. They have very complex business models inside too, where they're offering services and loans and financing for SMEs and and, uh, small entrepreneurs uh, in developing countries, for example. And so every, and they often have a monopoly in some of these spaces too. So what we're seeing is massive impact. So if you take I I like to talk about Amazon, I'm not trying to just point fingers, but but if you took Amazon in terms of its impact um, on global supply chains and on local communities and SMEs, so here's Amazon that has global reach uh, for the most part. The goods and services that it brands and it um, offers um, directly, they will do some CSR reporting around that. Uh, And they'll also have a a fund that they're offering. But 50% of the goods and services that are exchanged are third party. So just like Facebook's third party content, there's no governance around third party goods and services. Um, So that means that uh, not only consumers are not protected, but labor laws um, and other types of considerations like the taxation base, et cetera, are not covered uh, within that spectrum. Another example would be Uber, uh, which was great. You know, this idea of a good economy and lifting people out of poverty, giving them um, jobs, flexible workplaces, take that in a developing country context where um, you then supplement that with, you know, small car loans through local banks. Well, what happened when COVID hit? is um, all of a sudden nobody's driving. The drivers are losing their business, plus they're defaulting on their loans for the cars. um, And the loans are through the local banks. So The local banks are now in trouble, and that is pushing the national banks into trouble. So there's this wave effect that is happening in governance structures that don't exist um, on very key areas of of the big fintech imprints, if you will.
0: So it's... um the the impact that every company has i think it it's not easy uh, even to measure this impact and understand uh which impact they they really have and uh and how you can uh well in some way control if it's possible i i don't know even if it's possible or not uh or how to um help the people that are more affected to the changes uh that that I mean now we have the pandemic, but in the future we don't know
1: <laughs> what yeah, will happen.
0: Yeah. So um I think one one of your role, if I if I understand it, it's really to uh also help uh organization uh like like the UN to understand what is happening right now and uh and kind of report to them what is happening to <laughs> help to uh well Get a grip in some way <laughs> and well, find solutions together.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate. I, I wouldn't say that I'm helping them. I think they, um, I, when I was with the Green Digital Finance Alliance, which was set up by UNEP and um, Ant Financial um, to look at fintech uh, for green, for good. And so within that, we created a few, uh, a few knowledge pieces and, and tools that were adopted by the UN secretary task force on digital financing of the SDGs. So that was really great. You know, and within that we, uh, it wasn't me, I basically I brought some, my colleagues and I brought really brilliant people together to work out specific toolboxes, where we are in terms of digital green bonds, for example. Um, Are they end-to-end? No, but here's how how it would look and what it would look like to build out. And now I can extrapolate that and work with um, organizations who are actually doing this on the ground. So that's one part. And the other part was FinTech readiness assessment framework uh, that the GDFA did and that was adopted and used um, by the Secretary General Task Force. And that's really fascinating because, again, it looks at this the, uh, sort of sectoral approach of saying, OK, where are we in terms of readiness? Um, and I think there were three or four countries where this was piloted. So that framework, again, is there um, and made public so that other countries could sort of harness this and bring it in. And now I've just been engaged to lead out um, a couple of papers for the UN uh, extension of that dialogue on the impact of big fintech. Um, as well as cryptocurrencies and digital currencies on the least developing uh, countries. So we're just in the process of finaling, finalizing those mm-hmm. um, approaches. But what I what I was really hoping to do and um, uh, was to actually show the the broader implications beyond the usual suspects. And my my approach here and the UN was really generous in um, taking this on was to say, um, you know, this narrative of uh, of digital economy and financial inclusion, there's some other elements to it that really aren't discussed um, and we need to focus on those. So, and I've been in, in able to do that. So by looking at um, clusters of the SDGs, but again, as you said earlier, where do we find the data on this? Because Data around FinTech and big Fintechs in particular is readily available uh, in certain elements from you know developed countries um, that are collecting data uh, in all forms and types, but in um, developing countries in LDCs, uh, a lot of this type of structure and data collection doesn't happen so employment rates, et cetera, um, just you know some of the, the the basic ones. So you can't do a direct type of analysis. you have to sort of build out more creative ways. Of analyzing the data, and that could include just looking at CSR reports for you know, as well as um, the actual economic data, to show uh, sort of the gaps of of our knowledge, basically, because there are no clear and direct answers. It's really a process we have to get better at doing, because we are these business models are rapidly growing and expanding, and not just geographically, but in terms of their complexity and um, with monopolistic tendencies, whether um, intentional or not, and the impacts are massive. And we can't even imagine some of, of those macroeconomic impacts let alone the the individual impacts.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, the the data and the measurement, it's it's one of the things that we we are talking a lot about these days in in, the, in this summit as well. Um, uh, on, on one side, we have the problem of uh, as regards impact investing of measure the the real impact that uh, the, the companies that we are investing in uh, they have and uh, on the other side uh, especially when you do not have a an history of data uh, you can have like a spike <laughs> when you start to measure them so you're thinking okay it's the problem these big it it was this big in the past is just uh, because i'm starting now and then uh well w- what is the future and uh, and how can i compare and understand uh what we are right now in this moment uh i mean it, it's a great point and mm. <laughs> and it's there's a, a yeah it's yeah. a
1: fascinating landscape right now i think everyone is really trying to get ahead of the of uh, that um ESG, SDG, CSR nexus, right? And the way uh, that I sort of uh, took it on here uh, was to say, you know, and I, I have to thank a, a couple of really brilliant people who I brought in um, to this work that will be acknowledged in the work itself, was to say the SDGs, you know, they're, they're, those are goals and they're set national level um, goals and vision, which you will uh, compass. Uh, towards a future goal. And within that, you know, um, 162 targets or something like this that um, they can use that are then aligned with some of the companies um, who are trying to also implement SDG goals and targets for their own operations. Then we have CSR reporting, which is largely voluntary, except, you know, in the EU. Um, And even there, it's sort of self-selection. So, and as I said, you know, with the Amazon case and other cases, we can report on this part, but You know, um, it doesn't go beyond this line or these direct operations. And so what I created within the research I'm doing right now is sort of a three-tiered approach that could then hopefully translate to the ESGs. And so that three-tiered approach, especially with larger companies, is, you know, here's our direct operations, here's our ecosystem uh, operations, or here's our sort of extended business model operations, and then here's our ecosystem impact, if you will. And so by sort of saying, ah, okay, we can't just look here because, you know, there might be this big wave of impact happening that we can't even see coming. So that was part of it. But having that, having developed sort of this, SDG, CSR, ESG lens really helped um, to look at that. And now being able to sort of adjust that towards SMEs and an investment and say, all right, let's get to the heart of matters and real representation of real impact for investors uh, forward thinking. That that's going to be you know, brilliant. And that's where I think the EU particularly is leading.
0: And well, um, I mean with with your work that that you're doing right now for the u n um it's it's also a, like a, an acknowledge that uh the new technology like blockchain is is existing and uh, uh it's growing and uh, there is uh something huge that is going on usually institution i believe they uh, they come in a bit late in the play uh <laughs> because well crypto blockchain uh, they are here for many years <laughs> now
1: yeah well I, th- I know I I have to say that you know having you know very uh, lightly worked with the World Bank on its carbon markets and having seen U- UN and UNICEF sort of acknowledge and build out they have internal labs particularly around blockchain and emergent tech and they're doing some fantastic work but again it's it's um, it's really about sharing that knowledge and I've had the benefit of having worked for a number of these organizations or interacted with them and seeing that I think they're, we're all facing the same um, questions, barriers, and gaps. And I think um, particularly for me leading up to climate and COP, I really think we need an interagency approach to say, all right, um, let's get ahead of this dialogue in terms of what it means for climate and climate finance. That to me is my priority. And that's where I, I you know, working with the, Uh, Open Earth Foundation, which we've just established in California, this is what we're trying to do is to create sort of the global architecture around everything from nested carbon impacts to a global stock take on carbon to how do we scale up um, the solar, um, you know, the solar pilots that we have and a end-to-end digital green bond. So by taking successful pilots that we've established that were established by my colleague, Martin Weinstein, out of Yale Open Labs. um, To me, these are like little pillars that we're basing a global perspective on. And I have to say that, um, you know, the the international organizations have been very supportive of that work. And I think they they understand the vision that's needed. And, um, but it's really hard to find funding for um, sort of an organization that is trying to do systemic change So by focusing on a systems level and global change perspective, that sort of plays against where funding for entrepreneurs and for organizations come from, which are usually siloed either geographic or in terms of specific technology for a specific use case. So that integration of those use cases, the integration of the different agencies that are working on this is I think that next step.
0: So um, have Two questions. <laughs> Number one. Uh, so, you use um, more than once the word um, uh, climate finance. So, uh, not all our attendees are used to <laughs> this terminology. Can you give us a definition uh, of climate finance?
1: Oh, you're catching me off guard here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very broad term, right? <laughs> um, just, yeah. uh, just a zap, but what do,
0: you, what do you mean when you say it
1: is worth? Um, to me, there, there are different elements of climate finance, right? So I think there's finance for climate initiatives, and then there's uh, finance for um, uh, our, our climate finance overall. So to me... Um, There's the element of of climate finance of the international organizations and community uh, in terms of finance to uh, local unmet needs in terms of uh, climate resilience mitigation adaptation. Um, And so I think we have, um, as you were talking about, different global organizations who have all set up uh, finance um, in and around climate um, initiatives largely for local populations in developing countries. That's one element of it. And that is where we're seeing, you know, different silos, infrastructure and investment gaps, bureaucracy, a lot of replication, Uh, there's lack of transparency and trust and credibility, um, all sort of misaligning uh, meaning that the, the needs of the local people, that the finances aren't actually reaching the local communities. So there's this disconnect um, that's happening there. So um, the idea was let's come along and insert tech to address some of these issues, like the lack of trust or the lack of transparency. But the way that that's building out is sometimes is not, is, uh, can also perpetuate some of those gaps. So that's part of it. For the other part of it is climate finances, financing for climate systemic solutions, um, which is another part of it. Um, And that could be anything from uh, financing the infrastructure needed for um, carbon markets and carbon offsets, which is one angle, or for um, climate uh, financing for climate innovation Uh, which is another part of it. And climate innovation could be any of the startups or entrepreneurships or initiatives of large companies to shift to more renewable or sustainable solutions. So there's like three different pillars to, to, for me, for the notion of climate finance. And then the core one is of course, investment in any of these pillars, if you will. And that's where I think we're talking about, you know, investment in, climate friendly or climate innovation, climate friendly solutions or climate innovation. And so how do we make sure that those innovations are actually um, building out and that there is a return on investment, not as well as the impact that we're achieving. So it's very interrelated, if you will.
0: So you are talking about uh, private funding, like VC funding, family office funding, uh, well, uh, business angel funding. So not, not just um, institutional funding, but, but really uh, private funding.
1: I think to me, I mean, I always rely on blended finance, right? So I think a lot of the systems change has, it's usually coming from institutional funding. But within those, the pilots and some of the initiatives, yes, the, the, uh, the investors, uh, the private funding, the business angels, the, the private investors, there is room for that. Um, and then you have mechanisms that can actually help pool that. So this is why digital green bonds are going to be really important because digital green bonds from end to end are going to be allowing the aggregation of small projects for large pools of investors as well as allowing small investors to access uh, the capacity to invest without uh, you know huge um, caps so I think yeah. it's really important we're seeing a democratization on both ends um, and to me this is a pivotal point of the climate innovation and climate finance space and uh, you know I think digital green bonds really does Require a little more investigation because we do have solutions um, at specific points. And this is why I'm working with EverCity uh, as well as OEF and hopefully some of the larger institutions to say, yes, we have these pilot projects, whether it's solar or wind or even uh, reforestation. Um, can we aggregate these um, to? then allow for pools and investors? And then on the other end, can we actually allow individual investors to become uh, a part of the the pool? So this is really essential to me. And we have solutions at each point in a value chain on issuance, on uh, Mm -hmm. proof and on uh, disbursement, Um, but not end to end. And I think it's really timely. And this I hope we'll see within the year's end.
0: Well, yeah absolutely absolutely I, I totally agree with that so we have a lot of options and hopefully these options will grow in the future as well uh, i mean um i'm uh working in, in impact investing for uh quite a bit now mm-hmm. and uh and i really see this opening uh especially on some um private, private investors of course there are For example, uh, specialized funds uh, for impact investing. Uh, But uh, well, I was talking also with other uh, investors as well, and especially family offices, they are taking uh, care a lot uh, of impact investing and uh, uh, and uh, single private investors, they're starting to think about how they can make an impact while they are like investing and get money back as well. Because of course, I mean, uh, not all the people uh, have the luxury to give a lot of money to charity and they can uh, well invest money and do not have any return back for this, uh, but. Um, In my opinion but i would like to uh to hear from you as well uh the fact that with uh these all these new technologies we really can see um a way to uh make impact investing uh well social impact uh profitable for investors for private investors as well uh it's uh, it's really a, a huge difference uh with the past Absolutely.
1: And I think those core component parts, whether it's, as you say, for family offices or at large scale for digital green bonds are, exa- are pretty much similar. And it's really just it's all building out. So on the one hand, we have now the automated evaluation, monitoring, reporting, that sort of proof of impact piece. Um, there are a lot of pilots that have have proven this feasibility and and but scaling is is an issue as well um, and you know we've all learned a lot of lessons around data readiness and even amalgamation. We did a um, a maritime fuel traceability and realized that a lot of the data is still written out by hand and things like date. Um, format can actually just cause a huge headache and require a weeks work on an algorithm that can actually interpret that. So there's there's that part of it. Um, but we do have real capacities in that are building out there. And that's something that you know I'm working with a number of organizations, OEF, Ever City, um, the Adaptation Ledger, it's etc, that are building out real and Solstrom, which are real building up capacity and then linking those to everything from DREX to um, carbon markets to um, other types of of ways of getting funding in, that can also be applied. So I think that um, the structuring, the issuance and the distribution of investments, as well as the, the payment and settlement part and the management of proceeds, as well as the MRV side, they're all building out right now and the time is right to really connect them and scale up the capacity.
0: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agrees. And I mean, there is a lot of, um, even new organization, a new way and, uh, and people like you that I know that you help a lot of startups as well. Uh, so, uh, and, and companies and nonprofit and profit <laughs> to, to do that. So, uh, I mean, it's, um, it's still a working in progress, but there are a lot of people that is uh, helping to to build uh, these new features. So yeah, it's our absolutely. future. So <laughs> we have a kind of a responsibility in that, I believe. So and uh, well, and about the future, um, how do you see this? Uh, uh, well, this mixing between impact investing and new technologies, and how uh, that will impact (laughs) our uh, our future and uh,
1: and everything that is socially impact as well Mm -hmm. I think yeah I, I think that's a great question and I think dialogues like this like people with your expertise and background and people with my general knowledge of you know digital tech and entrepreneurship coming together more to talk about what are the practicalities? You know, I, I think I'd love to have instead of a hackathon or a pitch session about solutions, I'd love to, give, to um, come together across the communities and say, okay, let's talk about what the real barriers are and and then sort of work towards those specific gaps because the this, this scaling capacity is there. But I think the, the real issue is around trust. Um, it's around... Uh, potential data uh, readiness or technology readiness. It's the fact that we're building out in specific little silos um, and the capacity to start integrating solutions is not quite there yet. So, and I think in this space, there's been a, you know, a a culture of competition, if you will. Um, And somehow we have to get past that because we're, all of these startups and all of these, investors, we're all facing sort of the same challenges. Um, and I think by talking about how to integrate and how without losing, you know, specific IP, etc., cetera, or uh, giving away trade secrets, there is, there is a capacity for that to happen. Um, I just haven't put my finger on it yet, but I think a lot of people are working towards this goal. And by having very open dialogues and conversations, uh, by building out, um, open platforms um, and open solutions building around consortia um, we can come together uh, to really address these these gaps.
0: So do you, do you think the the solution is really in the collaboration between all the parties? Yeah.
1: I think so I think we need more fora where they come together and uh, you know to me it doesn't have to be hippie hand holding right it's, it's coming together and doing consortia consortium partnership doesn't It it, it doesn't mean that that it's lacking uh, competitiveness, that it's lacking cutting edge capacity. It's lacking real potential for investment and growth. I think that actually we will unleash that by um, building out more integrative models around investment and around technology builds for impact.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um. It's not an easy balance uh, I believe, especially in the, in the society that we live uh today that is uh, as you said before, it's quite competitive on on one side and uh, um on the other side there is um well, we have people that need to survive. Uh so they are pushing through uh the uh, competitiveness in, for this reason. There are people that uh are competitive by nature <laughs> and it's Probably some countries more than others are are this this feeling uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the well of, of this need to be more competitive and to be the best uh, and uh, on one side it's great because competitive helps uh, to to push help to grow help yeah. uh, to uh, well to create new technologies as well and on the other side as you said. Um, the well, the collaboration, and uh, and I think this is uh, if if I can go back just one second about uh, the idea uh, of the blockchain or when blockchain started. Uh, the, the The basic idea was really about democratize things <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> then yeah. well sometimes it get lost and uh, and sometimes it's not even possible when you think about business and uh, um and return of investment and and it's fine i mean uh, it's it's the way it is mm. uh, but on the other side there um i really think that um there is also this um necessity and these feelings of being uh more open. And uh, I would like to think of, <laughs> of that <laughs> this, there is this need. Uh and uh um I mean when internet yeah. started it wasn't about in need of uh making things democratize. Uh it, it wasn't uh it was the need of communication, probably because in the 90s, we didn't have, as you said, this uh, possibility of communicate with people. Uh, but now we, we can communicate with people every day uh, and every minute of the day, is maybe even too much. Uh, yeah, so I think so. Yeah. So the yeah, technology. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. It's it's great.
0: Yeah, well, it's just a thought. But I mean, we start with uh, the communication first. uh, And now we are really uh, thinking about something more. Uh, This, the idea that uh, was behind uh, blockchain and Bitcoin when when it starts was really about democratize things. So it's, it's an evolution. I I think I
1: would like to think it is an evolution. I think we need to to separate the definition of competition and and versus ego, if you will, because I think um, the tech culture that sort of permeated tech for impact uh, sort of came aligned with that. So we had this tech culture, if you will, that was building out in this notion of pitching silver bullets, looking for unicorns, sort of shank, shark tech style that was even adopted by some of the international institutions. So in this visionary top-down approaches and competing pilots, um, you know, disconnected uh, innovation calls and hackathons that didn't really lead to any long-term change. And then at the same time, you know, the procurement practices of those with funds, uh, for tech from impact at the international level, um, you know, we're assuming plug and play readiness. So they were also a little bit disappointed when we are saying, well, actually, we, we still have to build out these solutions, right? So we're, we're sort of perpetuating the same gaps in the SDG and climate landscape that we're trying to address with tech. Um, and that includes like the silos and the replication, the credibility, uh, the efficiency and misaligned incentives. And I think there is a huge infrastructure gap, gap as well as a cultural gap. So, it's, and I think what we saw in the tech space and even in the tech for impact space, um, for lack of a better word, is sort of the sense of, of individual competition of who is the best thought leader and who is um, building out the best vision. When really, you know, when, when I see some of the most successful pilots around the world, is where they brought the community together. You brought your, Developers, the contractors vetted them properly uh, with the solution soldiers Sort of elements of design thinking with the investors, uh, the individuals, the funds, the companies, and blended um, climate sort of start the process rolling, and then we have solutions that are ready for direct investment and and ready to be employed. To me, tech is an ecosystem build, and I think that is what I mean. And it doesn't mean that it's just open and and you know open and everyone's invited i think we have some real tools for collaboration and scaling that that we've built out in the last few years that can be brought in and used to ensure that we have a better more open democratized approach to building out tech so yeah let's stop looking for unicorns and stop looking for uh you know the next visionary um but, and focus on, on ecosystem.
0: And uh, well, one last question for you. Uh, so um, who do you think, or, or what organization do you think uh, can do that? who are the players (laughs) who can be the player in the future
1: (laughs) well I mean of course I'm going to to talk about the the ones that I'm working with because you know I've selected them or you know we've selected each other because uh, of that approach you know so they're build they're building out real tech that is ready for investment while still building out in this sort of ecosystem approach and recognizing there is a need for collaboration and need for innovation uh, around the way we build out um, um, tech for impact. And so I think Open Earth, um, uh, Open Earth Foundation U.S. with Martin Weinstein, who I'm working with, Ever City, Alexei Shadron, uh, you have Solstrom, sort of solar directly into carbon credits uh, building out um, out of Copenhagen, we have block uh, blockchain labs for open collaboration, solving specific maritime. So I think there's a lot of really good role models out there, and there's adapt- uh, Adaptation Ledger, which is bringing together experts from different groups together to build out uh, specific platforms. And these solutions are building out in this type of uh, cons- small consortia approach. With investable products at the same time with open uh, elements and platforms that can be um, built upon and replicated and used. So I think that to me is a magic, magic mixture that I'm seeing in some of the ones that I'm supporting directly. Yes, (laughs)
0: yes <laughs> i love that i love that so uh, i know that you are working for the with, with this project for, for a while now so if you if you like to mention and how to to get reach <laughs> you uh, and and the project as well uh, i'll be happy to so just <laughs> let, let us know how how we can get in touch with you with the project
1: yeah, I think um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Catherine A. Foster, and uh, via Twitter, and I'm quite responsive there. Um, and uh, my direct email address at uh, foster, F-O-S-T-E-R-K-A-T at gmail.com. And I just wanted to give a last plug. I think by the 25th, you'll have seen a new fundraise approach that we've put in place with OEF, and I'm just going to leave you with that little hook because I think it it's bringing uh, the tech community Uh, together for impact, recognizing its footprint and impact, particularly in the cryptocurrency state um, uh, sector, and really trying to address that while using it in a way for potential new ways of fundraising and impact investing
0: that sounds great so well we are going to talk more because i i want to know a bit more how the project uh well will goes in the next month so i will invite you uh in, in our monthly, some of our monthly event uh so you can uh, update us of what you are doing and uh, and the progress because again um well we, we Well, I really believe that we are uh, building the future all together and, uh, and people like you uh, are both doing so great job and you're making a, such a big impact as well. So I'm really happy to invite you
1: again and talk more. Oh, I'd be happy to and thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. It's really great to see you hosting this platform and, and bringing people together. This is really essential and I'm very grateful.
0: Thank you again. Thank you so much, Catherine, and talk soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed this interview. If you did, go to newsletter.impactintech.org and subscribe to our updates and videos. Spread the voice of Impact in Tech. Be part of the community. Let's make an impact together every day as we build up the Impact Nation.